of the tree of life, which is in the paradise of God. The one who conquers will not be hurt by the second death. To the one who conquers, I will give some of the hidden manna, and I will give him a white stone with a new name written on the stone that no one knows except the one who receives it. The one who conquers and who keeps my works until the end, to him I will give authority over the nations, and he will rule them with a rod of iron, as when earthen pots (laughs) are broken in pieces, even as myself have received authority from my Father, and I will give him the morning star. Voice reverberating. I didn't know I was so loud. The one who conquers will be clothed thus in white garments, his name out of the book of life. I will confess his name before my father and before his angels. The one who conquers, I will make him a pillar in the temple of my God. Never shall he go out of it. I will write on him the name of my God and the name of the city of my God, the new Jerusalem, which comes down from God, from my God out of heaven and my own new name. The one who conquers, I will grant him to sit with me on my throne as I also conquered and sat down with my father on his throne. So as we get into chapters 4 and 5, which give us the the next vision of John, this picture and the next vision starts off with this picture of heavenly worship, we'll see elements of these promised heavenly rewards uh, being uh, unfolded more fully in this vision. So the vision is extremely pertinent for us because these two chapters focus on the action that we've gathered here today, the action of worship, um, giving us a picture of that heavenly worship and the qualities of the one whom we worship. So before I read uh, uh, Revelation chapter 4, let me open us in a word of prayer. Almighty God, Father, Son, and Holy Ghost, we do come this day to worship you, to glorify your name, to revel in who you are and rejoice in what you've done for us, a sinful fallen people, who by your own blood you've redeemed and purchased a place for us in this heavenly worship service. And that uh, even now, that worship is conducted as it's conducted always. And here we're shown a picture that the faithful who though stain their robes, who are bloodied by this world, who are tattered by sin, and persecution. The promise is that you will clothe us in white garments so that we too can worship you. Worship the one who was and who is and who is to come. As we think about this heavenly worship, as we, uh, John engages our imagination to put us in the uh, sphere of that heavenly temple, would you give us a vision of how our worship here, in this place, on this day, is part of that larger course that we too 
lift up our voices to say, worthy are you, our Lord and God. Teach us now, I pray, through your Holy Spirit, by the power of Jesus Christ. Amen. All right, Revelation chapter 4. After this, I looked, and behold, a door standing open in heaven. And the first voice, which I had heard speaking to me, like a trumpet, said, Come up here, and I will show you what must take place after this. At once I was in the Spirit, and behold, a throne stood in heaven with one seated on the throne. And he who sat there had the appearance of jasper and carnelian, and around the throne was a rainbow that had the appearance of an emerald. Around the throne were twenty-four thrones, and seated on the thrones were twenty-four elders, clothed in white garments with golden crowns, on their heads. From the throne came flashes of lightning and rumblings and peals of thunder. And before the throne were burning seven torches of fire, which are the seven spirits of God. Before the throne, there was, as it were, a sea of glass like crystal. And around the throne, on each side of the throne, are four living creatures full of eyes in front and behind the first living creature like a lion, the second living creature like an ox, the third living creature with the face of a man, and the fourth living creature like an eagle in flight. And the four living creatures, each of them with six wings, are full of eyes all around and within, and day and night they never cease to say, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty, who was and is, and is to come. And whenever the living creatures give glory and honor and thanks to him who is seated on the throne, who lives forever and ever, the 24 elders fall down before him who is seated on the throne and worship him who lives forever and ever. They cast their crowns before the throne, saying, Worthy are you, our Lord and God, to receive glory and honor and power. For you created all things, and by your will they existed and were created. All right, we'll stop there, even though the worship uh, continues on in chapter 5. But, um, but to start off, here John follows up his first vision, where he saw, if you remember, that, that picture of the Ancient of Days, Christ uh, in that... that um, using that picture of Daniel, picturing Christ as the Ancient of Days. Now, that same voice that had spoken like thunder in chapter 1 now speaks again and tells John to look into heaven, to show John uh, something in heaven while he was in the Spirit. So what does he see when John gets this glimpse into heaven? What are some of the things he sees? No. <laughs> yeah, we, we've got little creatures with eyes all over them. We've got one throne in the middle surrounded by other thrones. Okay, good. So a couple things. So we've got 
creatures that we're not used to seeing. Um, yeah, that these four living creatures have these, these visages. Um, so again, uh, not with eyes all over them, not kinds of things we're used to seeing. At least, I'm not. Anybody around here? There, you see those? Yeah, we have this picture of one seated on a throne. Um, so, I, and we're going to come back and sort of work through some of these different um, images. But I just sort of want to throw them out. You know, one, how, as Ronnie said, how very different um, is this picture than what we're used to seeing? Yeah, Mary. Yeah, we just came in chapter 3. Um, Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I'll come in him and eat with him. So we had that sort of Christ inviting the church to, you know, to, to, to come. Um, and earlier, he had told the uh, church in Philadelphia, Behold, I've set before you an open door which no one is able to shut. So, yeah, that it starts off. Uh, and I, I'm glad you brought that out to show that... Uh, there are these connections being made from what he's told us in chapters 2 and 3 that are coming forth in this vision of heaven in chapters 4 and 5. So even though 2 and 3 have been very sort of earthly-minded, you know, what's going on in these seven churches, those earthly concerns are connected to this, he you know, this heavenly picture, what's going on in the spiritual realm. Yeah, a rainbow, um, you know, it's both, you know, sort of reminds us that God did destroy the whole earth. It's, it's the way, it's a sign of God's judgment, that his judgment will always be tempered with mercy. Um, you know, so it both reminds us, man, God was so angry he destroyed the entire earth with this flood. But he's also promised never to do that again. So it's, it is this great picture of of God's mercy, but it's his mercy, uh, the way his mercy tempers his judgment, his righteous judgment. Yeah, Jerry. Yeah, um, I wasn't going to do a lot with the sea of glass, so I'll just say some about that. There are a couple ways we can sort of think about, you know, what this, is it, you know, a sea that's for cleansing? Because if we think of both the tabernacle and then the temple, you know, the first thing you encounter as you approach those is this giant basin on which, you know, to emphasize, you know, the necessity of cleansing. But I also like what you said. Um, if we look at the image of the sea, particularly in the Old Testament, the sea symbolizes turbulence chaos. Um, you know, the sea is often depicted in sort of those, has those sort of evil overtones. And now, as you said, it's perfectly 
still, you know, still as a sheet of glass. Um, so I think that's, you know, a, a, you know, so whichever way we take it, um, you know, that's a beautiful picture, again, sort of like James's, you know, the mercy here, this sort of, you know, these, after addressing these churches that have been undergoing so much turbulence, you know, so much chaos, not knowing what's going to, you know, what wave is going to buffet them next. Before this throne, the sea is stilled completely. Yeah, and not just when he gets angry, but, um, you know, uh, let's see. I'm going to be James Glover. Uh, <laughs> should I pick on James? James, where have we seen thunder and peelings of lightning? And Not in Revelation. Think of what we did all last year. Yeah, when they approached God's holy mountain. I mean, that's, you know, when God appears before people, this is, again, you know, this isn't new imagery. This is imagery we've been seeing all along. When God's, you know, voice comes forth, it's in thunderings and lightnings and, you know, it's, it's scary. Okay, so, and, and let's think about these, let's take a minute to think about this jeweled appearance. Again, you know, we talked about this in chapter one, the picture of Jesus there is not the way we're used to thinking of Jesus, this sort of white-haired ancient of days. That's not typically the way we sort of imagine Jesus. But John wants us to think of Jesus in, in lots of different ways. So we think about the one seated on the throne here, why bejeweled? Um, and, and Jonathan, you know, sort of has given us, you know, our understanding of the process by which jewels are made, heat, pressure, they're buried. We've got to go search for them with much effort to, to get to them. But we do so to get, you know, those small pieces of beauty. And now we have one here that is, you know, bejeweled. Yeah, so we've got red, we've got green, we've got a rainbow. Um, I mean, what do all those things symbolize?
Yeah, the necessity of sensory perception. Um, and often, you know, we sort of explain to people, you know, in heaven, and we'll sort of see, you know, this worship's going on all the time, and people are like, oh, how boring. Or, But the emphasis that John is presenting here and these symbols present is, wait a minute, there is radiance uh, of, you know, jeweled. It's, you know, a sight so spectacular, and the creatures there, you know, they, they've got, you know, hundreds of eyes, you know, out and within to sort of take in all that this heavenly realm has to offer. The rare, hard-fought beauty that Jonathan described is commonplace in heaven. Mark. Yeah, and more so maybe than the color, but just sort of, I mean, what, think of the white. I mean, um, and, and again, this isn't new to John. Um, uh, let's see. Um, let's flip to um, Ezekiel real quick. Um, Um, so Ezekiel chapter 1, uh, we'll look at, um, oh, oh, here we go. Uh, in verse, we'll start in verse 26. And over, their ex over the expanse of their heads, there was the likeness of a throne, an appearance like sapphire, and seated above the likeness of a throne was a likeness with a human appearance. And upward from what had the appearance of his waist, I saw as it were gleaming metal like the appearance of fire enclosed all around, and downward from what had the appearance of his waist, I saw as it were the appearance of fire, and there was brightness all around him, like the appearance of the bow that is in the cloud on the day of rain, so was the appearance of the brightness all around. So again, even though he's focusing, you know, in his, he's trying to describe it, he's using more me metal, you know, like glowing hot metal, but the same, the effect is the same. This is brightness. This is pure light. This is light in its entire spectrum um, emanating from this throne. So, which to go back to, to James's thing about the eyes, I mean, this is pure light. And you think about, you know, the great things about um, uh, jewels is the way, I mean, you, I mean, I, I'm not one, much one for diamonds. I don't have them laying around the house. Whenever I see one, it's always, you know, just to see how the light, I mean, you know, that's the thing about those stones, the way they do, you know, just really miraculous things with light. And that, again, is what this appearance, this heavenly appearance, is like. Um, things we get small glimpses of here, 
uh, is going to characterize this one seated on the throne. Appearance. So the writer is trying to reference something that we would understand to try to explain something that's not explainable. Right. And it's, you know, the words like, appearance of. This, again, this is a vision. And, and John is trying to communicate what he's seeing in words to us. And words fail him. Um, which, again, it's not that uh, Ezekiel is giving us a different you know, Ezekiel is trying to describe what he's seeing, which has similarities but differences. And, you know, he's using, it's like burning hot metal. It's like, um, you know, fire in the midst of the furnace. You know, he's trying to describe this brightness in terms that his audience would understand. Um, so, again, it's not, we don't have to necessarily think of, you know, um, the one on the throne covered in bling, <laughs> you know. Decked out, rings, chains, you know, it's, it's the appearance that's coming for it. And it's, you know, the only way we can describe it is to use these kinds of terms. It has this, again, this bright, I mean, again, to think, you know, with, even, with a ruby. It's red, but then it's catching all these other colors of light. It's reflecting light, and, and you know, it's, a lot's going on there. And I think that's, you know, one of the reasons John has seized on this, the lightness of the emerald, the lightness of carnelian, to, to give us this sense of, man, words can't capture what this one on the throne uh, looks like. So, um, so let's move from the, the, from the one on the throne to these creatures we've seen around it. Yeah, Jerry. And I think that's great because we think of all these other kinds of appearances or visions and, you know, I, you, you can't look, you know, to think in Exodus, you know, you can't look upon me, you know, you're not going to be able to take it in, you know, people's first responses is to, you know, fall down, cover their eyes. I mean, it's sort of like, you know, turn away from the atomic explosion <laughs> and, you know, you know, it's that, that radiance that we can't take it all in. But, you know, when we've been transformed, we will. All right, so speaking of this transformation, we've got um, two sets of, of, um, two sets of, of creatures described here. 24 elders and the four living creatures. So let's start with the 24 living elders. Uh, and that's not just because I was made one last week. But because it's temporally uh, next. But who, who are these guys? And what does their description indicate about who they might be? Twenty-four elders. Why twenty-four? Why elders? <laughs> Same thing. Okay. So twenty-four uh, is twice 12, and we think of, well, what 12s do we know of in the scriptures? 12 tribes of Israel, 12 apostles. Old Testament, New Testament. So are these 24 um, uh, you know, elders representatives of the, the, um, the patriarchal age, the apostolic age, the Old Testament, the New Testament? 
what else would we say? So, I mean, they, they're not to, and I, I, um, I, I tend to lean that way, but there are other sorts of ways to interpret them. But what, what are we told about them? What do they look like? Maybe that helps us figure out exactly who they are. Clothed in white? You were going to say something? Yeah, representations of the church, and why do you say that? Yeah, we had just, and that's one of the reasons I, I read through all those statements to the one who conquers, because so many of those, you get crowns, you get thrones, you get white robes. Um, it is this picture of, you know, the things he had just promised to these churches, these 24 elders have those elements, those qualities, the right robes. Yeah, and that's definitely going to be, uh, as we um, move forward in this vision, we're going to see specific, you know, uh, descriptions of martyrs clothed in white. And as we looked at the churches um, uh, spoken of in chapters 2 and 3, they're churches that are going to undergo persecution, even to martyrdom. So the promise is, you will be clothed in these white garments. So it's a picture of, of the church. Um, and you know, the things that he's promised these particular churches that they can you know, expect, he now sees a vision of these figures in heaven clothed, functioning, just as he had seen promised in the letters to the seven churches. So why would such a picture be so encouraging to churches undergoing persecution? You know, don't think we've left the seven churches behind just because, you know, the seven letters are over. You know, as I've shown you, I mean, there are connections between those direct addresses and now this vision. So why follow up those direct addresses with this vision? What encouragement would this bring? Or does it bring encouragement? <laughs> just, yeah, James. Yeah. There are those who've overcome. Um, and to sort of move to, to chapter, uh, there's a line in chapter 5. Um, Problem, I, I always take the ESV Bible from the back, and I always never have, I make all my markings in my Bible. So verse 5, um, you know, Jesus is described as the one who's overcome. Um, so it's sort of, he's overcome, that's allowed. You know, because he's overcome, others can overcome as well. This sort of promise is, is put forward. So there is this sense of, what he's promised comes true. Um, it's fulfilled. It's fulfilled now. Um, it's, you know, this is going on now. It's not just some airy fairy, you know, promise in the, you know, the near or not, you know, distant future. You know, this they're already sort of participating in this kind of heavenly worship, which is again why I think to see this picture of the church encompassing. You know, two twelves, you know, the old and the new. 
uh, that they're engaged in this worship. John. Yeah, and to use the word, um, you know, some translations use overcome, but other translations use conquer. Um, again, that is very martial language. To sort of see this as a struggle and to see the reward that's received. Um, and again, these 24 are stand-ins for, they're the representatives for us. You know, this is the, the glimpse of what we too have been promised. Yeah, and to see it collectively. Uh, and just as we saw, you know, the, the letters prior weren't addressed to individuals, they were addressed to collectives. And it's, it's very apparent that those, everybody in those collectives is, is you know, um, is not of Christ. Um, so, but the collectives are being sort of held forth. Um, so, so, so with these elders. Um, and that's, you know, you know uh, one commentary I looked at um, counted 21 different interpretations of who the 24 were, um, including like a whole host of angels. I, I say it's not angels because elders is only ever used of humans. Um, this would be, you know, again, I, I think John is trying to make something clear to us. He's using the Old Testament. So we understand um, elders in the way we see elders functioning, you know, in Scripture thus far. Um, so I think it's, um, you know, it, it's depicting human beings that have received the things that have been promised to these seven churches in Asia Minor. All right. So, yeah, James. Because, uh, yeah, um, yeah, Jerry, yeah, yeah, they've overcome because he's overcome. And it's the way it's sort of like, you know, in the presence of this one, what you've received, <laughs> you know, you throw back. <laughs> but he's given you, you give, you know, you realize I've only overcome because he's overcome. This is not mine. This is yours. I think that's the picture that's being given. Um, and that's something, um, you know, moving toward to next week to sort of see um, as we focus more on this sort of worship service going on, there's sort of escalation that goes through. And as it es the worship escalates, the emphasis is on what Christ has done for us, um, you know, uh, it, it sort of moves from God's worthy to be worshipped just for his attributes. And then God's worthy to be worshipped. Wow, look at creation. And then, wow, God's worthy to be worshipped for what he's done in redemption. Um, to sort of see it building. You know, it, you know God and, and God's self is worthy of worship. Then we start looking and see how God has acted in human history. And it's like, whoa. Yeah. So it's who God is and what God has done and will do. I think we're supposed to have that parallel. We're supposed to have Ezekiel. We have kings. There's a vision of heaven and kings. I mean, they all sort of have these sorts of similar elements, usually connected to some kind of prophetic calling. Um, uh, usually... Um, the one receiving it confesses his unworthiness um, and is over, overwhelmed to the point of being undone by the vision. Um, uh, yeah. All right, so, and that 
blends over because we, we see, you know, things with wings flying around the throne in Isaiah 6. And now we've got these four living creatures here. Yeah, Tim. I want to save the seven spirits because we get a little more detail on them next time. So, I, yeah, thanks for catching me on symbols I want to skip. But um, I, I, <laughs> I am skipping it, but I can't skip it for long. How about that? <laughs> so I save the seven spirits because the seven spirits um, come up again um, in the next chapter. Um, but these four living creatures. Uh, wow. <laughs> what do we make of these? Yeah, they're, they're in Ezekiel 1 and in um, Ezekiel 10. Um, gives another kind of description. Um, let's see. Ezekiel 10. Hold on. Write things down. 12, 15. Um, we get... Uh, their, in their body, their rims, and their spokes, their wings, the wheels were full of eyes all around the wheels the four of them had. As for the wheels, they were called in my hearing, the whirling wheels. Every one had four faces. The first face was the face of the cherub. The second face was the human face. The third face, the face of a lion. And the fourth, the face of an eagle. So, um, yeah, he's got, it's very... Again, there are differences, but there are a lot of similarities between what John is seeing and what Ezekiel saw in sort of describing these creatures. Um, again, and it's uh, the language used. Why four? Yeah, it's, and again, cross cultures, you often get this kind of fourfold sense of, uh, you know, um, Native Americans, well, Native Americans do the four, four directions, but they also sometimes add, uh, they go three-dimensional, so they go up and down as well. But there are lots of cultures that sort of you know, use the four cardinal directions to sort of emphasize completion, surrounding, the totality. Um, so, you know, it's, it's, the throne is completely surrounded, you know, to sort of use four, sort of gives that picture. Yeah, Victor. Um, it developed in about the, um, oh, I want to say third or fourth century church, sort of started making this connection between, um, I mean, again, it's sort of like the, the 24. You know, you got two 12s. That's a convenient way. All right, what do we know? What do we have four of in the scriptures? Well, we've got four gospel writers. So, so um, yeah, I, I tend to not think of it in those terms. What might be um, what uh, a Jewish tradition might have a more um, uh, uh, to sort of think again to think of it as the image that he's seen um, and the, the uh, Talmud describes how Israel camped around the tabernacle. The twelve tribes would break up into groups of three on the cardinal directions. Each one under a banner, symbols on the banner. So, uh, so I think it's this. You know, I don't. And again, I'm not saying we have to go that way either. But I'm saying it's sort of giving us a picture of this one on the throne, being you know completely surrounded. 
Um, you know, that's what the four, I think, is, is there for, to give us this picture of uh, in every direction, the one on this throne is surrounded. Yeah, and to think, uh, and John's focus isn't so much, I mean, he, he's got to describe them because, well, they're there and, you know, you know, trying to put it in human terms what they're like. But the focus of four and going into five is what they're doing. So what are, you know, beyond who the 24 elders are, beyond what these four living creatures are, what are these um, people, things, creatures, what are they doing? They're lost in worship. They're taking it in. Yeah, it's, it's, it's coming in and sort of radiating through them. Um, oh, good grief. It's, it's one of the, um, um, oh, uh, it's one of the Gregories, um, either or, um, Gregory of Nazianzus um, or the other Gregory. Um, talks about um, heaven. He, he sort of uses this and sort of talks about um, that we continue, even though we're glorified, we still continue to, to sort of, um, I think of the word, advance. Or he actually uses the word that, you know, that uh, he doesn't mean it like this, but it's the closest English, English equivalent sort of a process of deification. It's, you know, the more we're in the presence of God, the more we become like God. And I think it's, I think with the eyes, it's sort of that great picture of we're taking in who God is. And that, you know, as the Luke passage says, changes us. And so we're in this sort of pro constant, use this idea of we're in this constant pr process of, of, you know, growing in knowledge a knowledge that's ultimately infinite of God. So it's a never-ending process of coming to know who God is. Yeah, Mary. Which fits great with this picture of what they're doing, which is worshiping um, and giving back. So if we take it this sort of reflective sense, they, you know, they're giving the glory back to God. The glory that God is shining forth is being reflected back to God. Just as the crowns that God has given them, they're taking them off and casting them back before his feet. To sort of think of worship in those terms. Yeah, um, we'll go with George. We need to be cleansed. You know, the, the picture of, of Isaiah there. We need to have... Are, you know, for him, his sinful lips need to be, the sin needs to be taken away. Which again, it goes, I think that Luke passage, that's one I hadn't looked at this week, but I'm glad you brought it up because, I mean, that, that's such a great picture of, of um, we need to have these receptacles for light to drive the darkness from us. And so to have a creature completely covered with eyes, without and within, like, all right, wait a minute, what does an inner eye look like? Within, how, you know, not sure how that works, um, but but it's this idea of there is no part of that creature's being who is not uh, receiving this light, um, and that again sort of thinks of how we need to be when we're in the presence of a holy, holy, holy God. 
that's the kind of cleanliness we need. There, there can be no darkness within. Cheers. Uh, yeah, this is the ESV. So, lion, ox, man, eagle. Half, yeah. Yeah, and that one is the one that's different. Yeah, so some people say it's an ox for strength, um, and even a calf, you know, sort of youthful potential for that strength. Um, yeah, I, I don't know what I want to say on that. <laughs> so I'll say nothing. All right, uh, we need to, to, to start closing, but the question I want us to think about, um, both this week and next week, is what does this tell us about what worship is and what worship, our worship, um, how our worship relates to this? Um, so let's just, you know, to take a couple of minutes, um, and then I'll let you go. Um, what is worship? Why? You know, for the world, this is, might seem silly. You know, you're giving up your Sunday morning to go do what? Sing, say some prayers with other people. Can't you do that at home? Can't you do it at home more quickly? Okay, so worship is, is an acknowledgement of God's worth. And so who better to see the worth of God than those who are immediately in his presence? So worship has that element of coming into the presence of God to see his worth, to acknowledge it. Yeah, Jonathan. Yeah, it's, it's not, um, yeah, there's, it's, there's something builds through it. Uh, it the, the collective aspect of it is extremely important. Yeah, James. Yeah, and that's, uh, we'll end on here, because, I mean, that goes back to what I was trying to emphasize earlier, why this vision is so important for those seven churches who, you know, he'd just given letters and now they get a description of this vision. Um, what an encouragement. And that's, it's, you know, the intent is the same for us. You know, this is, what, what we do on Sunday is just a teeny tiny taste, just like we haven't, you know, finished the journey that we're on. We've not yet reached the point where we've overcome. But even now, we get to have this experience of acknowledging the worth of the one who's brought us thus far, who we know, you know, because he's promised it and we're seeing it happen in the vision, we know it's going to be brought to fulfillment, you know. We know he's going to, to the one who's overcome is going to help us overcome as well. Um, and what an encouragement that is, especially as we um, engage in the act of worship. All right, let me close this in prayer and then remember to come forward so Doug can take his faux picture. <laughs> Gracious God, we do uh, bow before you to say you are worthy to receive honor and glory and praise. And uh, with our feeble voices, uh, we'll do that um, this morning. But help us to, um, to understand that you know, even in our sinful existence now, we see your worthiness. How much more uh, will we be able to perceive your holiness and, the, and your character and understand the depth of what you have done for us when we have um, perfect eyes to see? What a beautiful picture John is, is putting forth before us to perceive
uh, who you are and what you've done. Um, even now, uh, be giving us those kinds of eyes. Be making us holy. Um, prepare us for this, uh, for our glorification so that we can fully glorify you. Uh, the one we praise, Father, Son, and Holy Ghost. Amen. All right. Come forward. Picture time. No one will sit next to my wife. She won't bite. <laughs> read Revelation 4. Then I saw, I'll read 5. Then I saw on the right hand of him who was seated on the throne a scroll written within and on the back, sealed with seven seals. And I saw a strong angel proclaiming with a loud voice, Who is worthy to open the scroll and break the seals? And no one in heaven or on earth or under the earth was able to open the scroll or to look into it. And I began to weep loudly because no one was found worthy to open the scroll or to look into it. And one of the elders said to me, Weep no more. Behold, the lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David, has conquered so that he can open the scroll and its seven seals. And between the throne and the four living creatures and among the elders, I saw a lamb standing as though it had been slain with seven horns and with seven eyes, which are the seven spirits of God sent out into all the earth. And he went and took the scroll from the right hand of him who was seated on the throne. And when he had taken the scroll, the four living creatures and the 24 elders fell down before the lamb, each holding a harp and golden bowls full of incense which are the prayers of the saints. And they sang a new song, saying, Worthy are you to take the scroll and to open its seals, for you were slain, and by your blood you ransomed people for God from every tribe and language and people and nation. And you have made them a kingdom of priests to our God, and they shall reign on the earth. Then I looked and heard around the throne, and the living creatures and the elders, the voice of many angels, numbering myriads and myriads and thousands and thousands, saying with a loud voice, Worthy is the Lamb who was slain to receive power and wealth and wisdom and might and honor and glory and blessing. And I heard every creature in heaven and on earth and under the earth and in the sea and all that is in them saying, To him sits on the throne and to the Lamb be blessing and honor and glory and might forever and ever. And the four living creatures said, Amen, and the elders fell down and worshipped.